Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Hello, my name is Admiral Rachel Levine, and I have the honor of being the Assistant Secretary for Health at the United States Department of Health and Human Services. Happy Pride. Happy Pride Month. And actually, let's declare it a summer of pride. Happy summer of pride. Welcome back. We have a brand new NBC News poll that we're releasing this morning. And in it, voters are deeply dissatisfied with the direction of the country. They're concerned about the mental and physical well-being of President Biden. But the story of the last four years is still true today. And in this poll, the best thing for a Biden re-election campaign continues to be the president's of Donald Trump. Just 20% of voters believe this country is headed in the right direction. 74% say the nation is on the wrong track. Let me tell you something about this moment. We have had this sustained period of 70% about a year now. Uh, the last two periods in the history of this poll that we've had this kind of sustained negativity about the direction of the country was before the 92 election and before the 2008 election. Both of those changed the party controlling the White House. Now, let's get into more of the poll. Biden's job rating sits at just 43%, about where it's been since the withdrawal from Afghanistan, 53% disapprove. Uh, a full 68% of voters, including 43% of Democrats now, uh, which is twice what it was in 2020, say they are concerned that Biden does not have the necessary mental and physical health to be president. For what it's worth, when we ask the same question about Donald Trump, who's just a couple of years younger than Joe Biden, a majority also have concerns, but it is 55%, a full 13 points lower than the concerns over um, President Biden. But in and welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 5th of July, year of our Lord 2023. It's been damn 12 days, and I so apologize. Um, it's the same old thing, running into some health issues, changing meds, trying different things. They're throwing the book out, and nothing's working. Um, so I was really in a bad way, could not get in front of a mic, but I'm here today, did some alterations off what they wanted to alter, and I'm definitely much better. Just have to take a anti-cramping med right after I walk, because everything I put in, it doesn't want it. Um, but, you know, sleeping in bed, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Not not much you can really do. So our intro there, I had to get Levine in. We are so behind. There's so much shit to cover. I'm going to do a quick podcast today, kind of clear the slate, get some stuff done. Not going to do gay, uh, gay shit today. I'm just going to do the news and a few articles, kind of get us back on our feet and uh, get something out. And then in a few days, do a real podcast that's actually lined up. Because I've been waiting through for uh, shit. 45 minutes trying to get something. There's just so many bookmarks. I didn't control any, uh, coordinate any of them. So it's just a freaking clusterfuck. But those poll numbers are from like uh, 
two Sundays ago. And, you know, it doesn't really matter because what you will see next is CNN. I just picked two good sound bites uh, saying that, you know, America sucks if you don't like Biden's economy and country. And an interview, Jesus, man, MSNBC, what the fuck is this? I want to start with what the president was kind of joking about, the idea of, you know, what is what is Bidenomics? I've covered you guys pretty closely on the economic side over the course of the last two plus years. There are a lot of numbers you can point to that tell a story of success. That is not a story that has necessarily been received by the American people. Why? It takes a while to implement these landmark pieces of legislation. That is what we're focused on. Uh, for the next two years, and my agency across uh, the administration, implement, 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 get these dollars into communities to not only rebuild, um, but to make sure we bring manufacturing back to this country, which we've already added 800,000 jobs, and have good paying jobs for Americans. That's a great point, though, because I remember the the scale of the legislative accomplishments in the first two years don't have much precedent in the last several decades, if any at all. Um, and yet at the midterm elections, the president would be on the campaign trail talking about, you know, people just haven't felt it yet, right? On prescription drugs, it hadn't taken effect yet. Infrastructure projects still rolling out. CHIPS Act, same, same type of deal. The first cabinet meeting he had of 2023, you were sitting there where he's talking about, we have to implement, we have to show people what this actually is. Why aren't people feeling like you've been doing that? You've had projects rolling out. You had $40 billion in broadband coming out yesterday. Why is it not connecting? Those kind of things are starting to, to get into the bloodstream, uh, and we're going to work uh, as hard as we can to make sure it gets to. This is very exciting for us. Exciting for me. <laughs> you said today, um, and I, I know that you have a lot of power, but I can't imagine you manuf- manufactured the breaking news about the court. You said this court is not normal. What did you mean? What I meant by that is it's done more to unravel basic rights and basic decisions than any court in recent history. I mean, I think some some of your former Senate colleagues on the Judiciary Committee would go as far as to say that it's anti-democratic. Do you agree with that? Well, you know, if I say it's anti-democratic, then it gets <laughs> in a lot of trouble. <laughs> no, 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 but, but it, it is, its, its value system is different. Do you worry that without court reform, this conservative majority is too young and too conservative, that they might do too much harm? Well, I think they may do too much harm. Um, but uh, um, I think if we start the process of trying to expand the court, we're going to politicize it maybe forever in a way that is not healthy. That you can't get back. That you can't get back. Mr. President, we. Um, we don't get a lot of presidents through this studio, so consider it your chair. Consider it an open invitation. There are going to be a lot of things on people's mind, and I hope you'll look at this as a place you can come and talk about anything that's on your mind. Well, I will. You know, uh, we're like Porellos, we bite. We show up more invited. <laughs> all your food. I say that about the show, that we're like the Hotel California. You can check out, but you can never leave. People pop up, you know, at 4 and at 4.50, they're still here. So your staff will, and a lot of other people will come get me if I do that to you. So It's been an honor. It is fucking criminal. It's just criminal. 
so many polls have come out since I took my vacation, sadly, not really wanting to. Uh, this bozo, uh, Harris, positive or negative, Cheney was 47 positive, Gore, 42, Biden, 34, Pence, 34, Harris, 32. It's the lowest ever. The lowest ever, ever. And this poll, which NBC didn't really want to put out, you know, just, wow. NBC poll, majority of Americans say Joe Biden not having necessary mental and physical health to be president is a major concern. And I'm not going to do a bunch of slides today because, you know, I, that's our next subject. I'm really just a soup bone right now. Um. When you break it down, I mean, it's 68% in June. In 2020, it was 51. Concern about him being reelected, 60. Donald Trump, 58. And it, it goes across all party lines. So, I mean, it's just not, it, it's not just a bunch of ultra super pooper scooper mega motherfuckers that are fucking this up. They're just... They're just not. But as this slide shows, we've had, you know, things that they're going to try to capitalize on. His student loan got crushed and a bunch of other things got crushed. Uh, Baker won and you, you don't have to make a fucking cake for gay people again. That's like the eighth case that has been quantified by the Supreme Court, even when it was tighter on the aspect that you have to have religious liberty. But because it didn't go their way, and we're going to, on the other side of this, talk about a recent shooting. Uh, Mistel Thomas, a mutilated version of a black person. Coates. Dishing, dishing, ditching affirmative action will harm warfighter abilities. And NBC, MS, NBC just fucking melting the fuck down. In Tho Clarence Thomas's concurrence in the affirmative action decision, first of all, he cites Plessy a lot. And I thought Plessy was like verboten, like nobody wants to talk about Plessy versus Ferguson. He sure does. And in one point... Make this make sense for me, please. Uh, you're a lawyer. In his concurrence, he claims that the Freedmen's Bureau Act, which created the Freedmen's Bureau, you know, that was supposed to rematriculate former enslaved people, who all of whom, 100% of whom were black, back into society. He said, oh, that was a colorblind statue. How could the Freedmen's Bureau, Ellie Mastal, be a colorblind statue? Make that make sense. It's it's colorblind if you're like Clarence Thomas and your whole ideological uh, ideological perspective involves gouging out your own eyes. Like that and that's <laughs> what's and that's what Thomas is. Like he is such a mutilated version of a black justice that he is able to make these proclamations that, that just fly in the face of law and facts, right? One of the other things that you really realize when you when you read through his concurrence is just how angry he is at Katanji Brown Jackson for having the mm -hmm. temerity to be 
another black person on the Supreme Court. He apparently thought that he got to be the only one. He thought that he had pulled up the ladder for everybody else, right? And so he's really like, it's he basically throws a tantrum at Jackson. And why? Because Jackson is making the actual originalist argument in the affirmative action case. She is the one pointing out that the 14th, 14th Amendment was done explicitly to have for, for racial restorative policies like affirmative action, which, as I said yesterday, the first time that that happened in this country was during Reconstruction. So this is the history that Clarence Thomas ignores, and that's why he's so and that's why he's so fabulous about all of the stuff that's in his concurrence. He just he's just like plucked out his own eyes, and he doesn't want to see anything that Miss Jenny tells. And I think there is already precedent here because California and Michigan uh, both had basically abolished affirmative action. It could not be used as a a factor uh, or the deciding factor in admissions. And they've all seen their diversity numbers drop since then. I'm going to go to Laura Coates uh, quickly on on this. This has, I think, been held for 40 years um, that affirmative action has been in place. Now they have upended that. Um, Starry DeSasis, as you <laughs> attorneys call it, has, has, it's, it's no longer in this case. What do you make of this decision and what it means to those going to college now and to the universities themselves? Well, I don't think we can even overstate the role that race has played in our society as a country. And it also is a very big part of one's identity. And so part of the college admissions process is the practice of a student, a potential applicant, detailing why they believe their identity and being ought to be an additive addition to a particular school. Now, it'll be very hard for an admissions process and an admissions office to delineate between how a student views themselves and their identity and what can now be considered in practice. An example that was that came up during the Supreme Court oral arguments is the idea of, well, what about a student who is writing about their personal identity as it relates to their race? Is the admissions office to look at that essay, burn it, oh, throw yes. it out and say, I cannot see this here because it deals with race? And I want to read for you a quick notion here. I know uh-huh. we're short on time, but the monumental consequence of the decision cannot be overstated. Everyone from Apple to Ikea, to Starbucks, joined in in briefs to talk about racial diversity, improving decision-making by increasing creativity, communication, and accuracy. Some of the largest law firms in our country spoke about the private bar and the legal profession benefiting from a diverse pool of talent from which to recruit. Retired admirals, a group of them, and generals also told the court that, quote, diversity in the halls of academia directly affects performance in the theaters of war. And so for those who believe that the confidence of affirmative action and the decision is going to restrict be, be here and only in the halls of Harvard or perhaps University of North Carolina, you have these amicus briefs and details about the mm. impact more broadly and the potential domino impact of we await the outcome in this decision. What's going through your mind right now, Catherine? That's a big one. And I just, it was funny, before we started, I asked Charles what law school he went to. He went to Howard. I had a different experience. It was me, Sonia, and Bob, three black students in my graduating class in law school in 1988. Love my law school, but that's not a good thing. And they've now increased the black student population. And if this decision comes out 
a way that it shouldn't, depending on your political beliefs, mm -hmm. then you were going to go back to a three-person, black-person class in the class of 200. And that's just not a good thing. Hedy Glaude, you're with us. Your thoughts. If indeed affirmative action is now banned nationwide from the college admission process, what is the impact? Well, um, you know, to be honest with you, it, it, we will return to uh, elite institutions more, more specifically uh, being the space for a particular population, for predominantly white and Asian students. We will begin to see a kind of segregated uh, uh, higher education landscape. I'm going to bring in NBC News correspondent Antonia Hilton, who is at Harvard University. Of course, that is uh, one of the schools involved directly in the cases at hand. And what are you hearing? Kind of reaction is is happening there. Well, on a, the majority of the students that I've spoken to, and I've been in conversation with them for weeks leading up to this moment, they are reeling, they are devastated, and they're worried about what the culture, what the makeup of their classes, the future generations are coming up behind them at Harvard. And then somebody who literally got everywhere. I mean, Reed admitted it. They, they wanted to shut up with or without a front of action because they weren't smart enough. It has nothing to do with your skin color. You just weren't smart enough to go to Harvard or Yale. I wasn't smart enough to go to Harvard and Yale. That's supposed to be prestigious, but we've changed it to, well, black people just get in because they're black. Because if you don't let them in, you're racist. And that's, that's just fucking horse shit. So here is the POTUS and Van Jones. Just, you couldn't do this if you're a Republican. The totality of what we've seen in just the past two days and the impact, the historic impact these opinions have on American life. Well, look, this is a, a tragedy. If you, if you care about inclusion and equal opportunity and you care about folks who don't have much and trying to make it today, this is a tragedy. But it's a tragedy that's a result of a strategy. And that's what I think we sometimes forget. Uh, this is a deliberate effort on the part of conservatives to hijack the courts and use them to do what's happening today. The Federalist Society was organizing on campuses, getting law students together in the 80s and the 90s, uh, setting this thing up. Mitch McConnell focused like a laser on stacking the courts and blocking Obama from doing what he wanted to do. And now you have three Trump appointees, three, not one, not two, three, remaking America uh, as they will. And all the things I was taught in law school are now out the door. You used to have to have standing. <laughs> uh, you, you couldn't just, well, look, I'm concerned about the law. I want the Supreme Court to tell me I'm right. That's what just happened when it comes to LGBTQ, LGBTQ rights. Uh, the, literally, this woman had not been sued by anybody. She had, had no reason to be in court at all. Standing used to be important. That's out the window. Precedent. Uh, uh, earlier decisions used to matter, out the window. And Supreme Court used to try to narrowly decide what's the most narrow approach we can take to resolve an issue. Now, nope, we're going to entertain any theory that we can to go after certain groups. This is a legitimacy crisis now for the Supreme Court. And it's a legitimacy crisis that's been brought on by a conservative movement that saw it was losing public opinion, it was losing a, a, a generation to uh, more inclusive ideas. And so now you're using the Supreme Court to slam shut the door of hope, 
to slam shut the door of opportunity for generations of Americans. And it's shocking. The Supreme Court, those black robes are supposed to be referee robes. You're not, if you're a young uh, uh, gay or lesbian person, you shouldn't look at the Supreme Court and see your opponent. You should see a referee, you see somebody who's going to call it fair. They went out of their way to grab this case and use it in the way that they've used it. And now the First Amendment is being used as a shield for bigotry. The First Amendment is being used as a shield for discrimination. There were people in my father's day, in my mother's day, who said that the Bible separated the races, that, that, that after Noah, <laughs> we were separated, after the Tower of Babel, uh, Babel, we were separated, that it was ordained by God that blacks and whites should be separated. Do their religious beliefs now come back? Can somebody now say, as a, as a matter of religious faith, I just can no longer serve uh, the, the agenda of diversity? This is all nuts. But it's not just a tragedy, it's a result of a strategy. And we got to wake up and realize this, this, is, this is a serious, serious political fight, not just a legal one. Through, but be it through discrimination or inspiration or otherwise, end of quote. Because the truth is, we all know it, discrimination still exists in America. Discrimination still exists in America. Discrimination still exists in America. Today's decision does not... Yeah, that they had a huge problem. Jamel Bowman, I'll just read some. I'm not going to do slides. We were, ex- we must expand the Supreme Court. Dabrowski, we all show up to vote in 2024. We can win the Senate and the White House. Expand the court. 1869, Congress set the number of Supreme Court justices to nine, with the fact that there were nine circuit courts. They're now 13. Expand the Supreme Court. Michael Eric Dyson. This is the face of a man who climbed the ladder of affirmative action and he's dogging Thomas. Whiskey Papa, let's expand the court. Uh, that and Joe, time to expand the court. Joe Katz, expand the court. Mark David, Chad Felix Green. It, it doesn't fucking matter what your name was. It's expand the court. Uh, New York Times. Breaking news, the Supreme Court rejected affirmative action at Harvard UNC. The major ruling retail, uh, curtails race-conscious college admissions. The U.S. all but ensuring that elite institutions become whiter and more Asian. Supreme Court rejects affirmative More Asian. What's wrong with that? They're more qualified than everybody else. AP, Supreme Court rules for a designer who doesn't want to make wedding websites for gay people. It's the cake again. It's all about the cake. You're going to make the fucking cake. If you don't make the fucking cake, we're going to ruin you. We're going to ruin your life. We're going to ruin everything because it's all about the cake. And then we have this happen in the middle of it. And this would be a fucking whole podcast, but since I've, once again, I've been on hiatus, um, I'm sitting here with my father, and we'd like to know why you, the commitment has not been fulfilled. Sorry, but this is as close as you get to, when is my dad getting his bribe? No one ever puts these kind of things down on paper, but Hunter did it in WhatsApp. Exact thing. I'm sitting here with my father. I'd like to understand why the commitment has not been fulfilled. Tell the director that I'd like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand, and now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang or the chairman, I will certainly are certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction. I'm sitting here waiting for the call with my dad. My dad. 
New York Times. Did I get this? No. New York fucking Times. All right. Not mega. Not uber mega. Not ultra mega. Not mega mega. Within 10 days of Hunter Biden's one ups message to the Chinese official associated with CEFC and CEFC subsidiary sent two payments totaling $5.1 million to account linked to Hunter, according to record side in the Senate GOP investigation. Somebody says, Sir, you're off script. Suggest you run this by the DNC because that's what they've done in the past. Stephen Miller, exclusive. New York Times. Joe's missing millions. Financial records reveal Biden had $5.2 million in unexplained income as emails show he paid Hunter legal bills for one megabuck Chinese deal and was tapped by the big guy to get 10% cut. It's the New York fucking Times. Ken Vogel. He doesn't work for Breitbart. Doesn't work for Fox. New York Post. When this was coming out on June 23rd, this happened. Distinguished guests, please make your way to your seats. Dinner will begin shortly. Thank you. Yeah, that is a crack addict, felon, got off because his daddy's president, shit burger, at a state dinner. Nicholas Kristoff. The real meaning of the Hunter Bias saga, as I see it, isn't about the presidential corruption. It's about how widespread addiction is and how a determined parent with unconditional love can sometimes sometimes reel a child back. They can give others hope. Mahar, my column argues that existing addiction policies are grossly inadequate. We lose 250K Americans a year to drugs and alcohol combined. It's because the open border and fentanyl, you cocksucker. Only 6% with substance use disorder get treatments. I wish President Biden would tackle America's disorder as seriously as he tackled his son. President Biden laid a nationwide push to tackle cancer after he lost one son to the disease. I wish he'd lead another effort to tackle the addiction. Ah, la, la, ah, la, 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 la. For now, there's no clear evidence that the president did anything wrong. Oh, really? They found cocaine the cocaine was in the f- the yaya, as Scarface would said, was found. They thought it was anthrax, but it was crack from cocksucker. So our media, being the douche burgers they are, literally spend very little time on this. But I'm going to play three minutes and thirty-five seconds. 
of cuntbag flapping her lips, lying, and it's okay, because then they dropped it, and we never went back to it again. And then the President of the United States lying. I'm not going to put a space between it, because next thing you're going to hear is that we need to vote for the man of democracy, Joe Biden, not the authoritarian Trump, from a speechwriter who NBC still says is just another fucking historian or something. I sent Hunter to the state dinner last night. Um, I'm wondering if you could take us into the thinking and decision-making of why uh, the president decided to invite I'm just not going to get into family discussion, personal family discussion. As you know, Hunter is his son. I'm just not going to get into it. Let me ask you this. If if Hunter Biden wasn't the president's son, would he have invited someone who had just reached a plea agreement with federal prosecutors? Well, a couple of things. Again, that's his son. It's a, he's a family member. It is not uncommon for family members to attend uh, events at the White House. You could look at past presidents. I'm sure you have. So that is not uncommon. Uh, as it relates to anything uh, uh, related to, uh, to Hunter, I'm just not going to respond to it from here. Can I follow up on that? Okay. No, I just called in somebody. Go ahead. Yeah. So, but I mean, so Kirby wouldn't answer James's question, though. Are you going to answer the question? I mean, not, not a reasonable question to ask no, with the president I, of the United States was involved, as this message seems to suggest, in some sort of a coercive conversation for business dealings by a son. Is that something? <clears throat> if he wasn't, then maybe you should tell us. So that. here's the thing, I, and I appreciate the question. I believe my colleague uh, at the White House Council uh, has answered this question already, has dealt with this, has uh, uh, made it very clear. I just don't have anything to share outside of my, what my colleagues have shared, uh, and so I would refer you to him and the, D- and the DOJ. Just not going to comment from here. Text I will, what I can tell you is I know that my colleague has dealt with this. He, he uh, addressed this at the White House Council. I just don't have anything else to share. I just, I just answered yes the question. No? I just answered the question. Yes or no, was the president involved in the I just shakedown attack? Stephen, Stephen, I just answered the question. I just said, I just... This is, it's not up to you how I answer the question. I just answer the question by telling you my colleagues at the White House Council has dealt with this, and I would refer you to them. Go ahead. Can you just remind us what your colleagues said from the White House Council so we have it? I would, I, would, I would refer you to them, and they will share their statement with all of you. My question is about is your anything? statements from that podium. You've stated that the president stands by his comment from the 2020 campaign that he never once discussed his son's overseas business dealings with his son. And you stood at that podium and you reaffirmed that. Do you stand by your reaffirmation? What I will say is nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. And I will leave it there. Anything else, I will refer you to the White House counsel. This is not a change? I just answered the question. You asked, You just asked me, do, does my statement change? I just told you nothing has changed. That's answering the question. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Stephen, I'm calling on your colleague right now. Go ahead. Thank you. To, to follow up on my colleague, is there anything that you can say with regard to this text message and what the president's son was alleging? Was the president there or not? I would refer you to my colleagues at the White House Council. They have addressed this, and I refer you to them. Go ahead. Karine, have you spoken to the president about this? Have you asked him whether he was there with his son on July 30th? This is not a conversation that I've had with the president. Again, I would refer you to the White House Council. Do you plan to have that conversation no. with the president? No. Did the president speak with the attorney general at all? I can't. I, 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 
I cannot say uh, if the president uh, had had a conversation with the attorney general last night. What I can refer you to is the White House Counsel's Office as it relates to the uh, allegations. Uh, they've. Mr. Biden, how involved were you in your son's Chinese shakedown text message? Were you sitting there? It's were you involved? No. And I would ask you, John Meacham, to put this into historical perspective, but there is no historical perspective when no, you have no a president, president who's actually been indicted for hush money payoffs. You've got a president who's been indicted for stealing nuclear secrets. You have a president who's being indicted for stealing secrets on invading Iran. You've got a president indicted for stealing other military secrets and highly classified documents. You have a president indicted for obstruction of justice. And now you have a president. We were talking about the Supreme Court. I mean, the Supreme Court, who, again, uh, out of control, running roughshod over the will of the overwhelming majority of Americans. And now we have this president, uh, again, unprecedented. But here we are moving towards, I believe, I think the most serious charges and the one that I think historians are going to be grappling with long after we are all gone. That is a president charged with conspiracy to commit sedition against the United States of America. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, you're right, historians will be wrestling with it, and as, as we all do all the time, I think citizens have to wrestle with it now, right? It, this is, it's, it's so central, uh, and I, I just really believe that we have a pretty clear choice in this political season. We can choose a constitutionalist, a party uh, that has been pretty faithful to the Constitution, uh, which is the party of the incumbent president, or we can favor a party that has been shockingly but persistently supportive of a insurrectionist or a seditionist. And that's not a sentence we would have said about Eisenhower and Stevenson. Right, uh, we had that. That was not a. That was not something that 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 uh, a lot of people grew up with. But it's it's pretty vital. And you have to ask the question: Does is any policy so important that you would want to favor someone that you think is a vehicle for that policy, even if they don't and have self-evidently tried to trash the Constitution of the United States? This segues very nicely into my fourth of July. I mean, for the name of everything fucking holy, did he just say a constitutionalist, a guy who has three times written checks from the executive branch, pen and sharpie like Obama, a man who oh, absurd, absurded the, the freaking powers of the office of the presidency with every one of his executive orders. They weren't just executive orders like most guys. You know, remember, these are the people. He's one of the people that says Trump, who is a garbage human, I fucking can't stand him, was 
breaking the Constitution because he wanted to divert funds from DOD to finish a fucking wall. And these very same media members in the very same fucking political party that is now running our fucking country said that was against the Constitution. You're ripping the Constitution up if you do that. You cannot use money from the freaking executive branch. Executive branch does not have the ability to do this. Blah, blah, fucking blah with blah and a couple buckets of fucking blah. A person who has now inserted 6.5 million fucking illegals in the country by ignoring his oath of office and enforcing laws. Guy who has now been found to fucking violate all sorts of laws and took illegal money from China and now is making rules that are that way. And Iran, a country that financed IEDs that killed American soldiers to the tune of almost 8,000 in our wars. That constitutionalist coming from this party, this party, the people that say that the flag is garbage. The party that not only writes this garbage about the Declaration of Independence They say you can burn the American flag. Dozens of pride flags were damaged, ripped down at the Stonewall National Monument over the weekend. The third such bout of vandalism at the LGBTQ plus landmark during Pride Month, police say. Latest occurrence happened Sunday after others on June 9th and June 15th. No arrests have been made in the incident. And it's unclear whether they're connected, New York police said. Flag burning and stomping is a form of free speech, motherfucker, somebody wrote. And that's property can be replaced it's just property that's what you people say all the time it's just property and the american flag can be burned you can wipe your ass with the american flag snl did a skit with baldwin wiping his ass with a flag wapo perspective why it's time to remove the third verse and fully make the national anthem same people that these are the same people. These are the constitutionalists, he said. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm, okay. That, that sounds great. And to beleaguer my point, same people that said these following things about the United States just in the last, like, 15 years. ...is not randomly attacking these players. He is attacking them because they're kneeling during the national anthem. And the national anthem is not a white supremacist symbol. 
and the president has become the his white, some of the words of the national anthem yeah. are, are, are white supremacists. You think the national anthem is I think racist? This is a, I think this is a country whose history is racist, whose history is steeped in white supremacy, and the anthem reflects that in its, in its well, very it's words. Well, it's also a nation with very important ideals that have worn down those injustices so over time and created a more just so society, ask, and people have died under that flag under, for those ideals. Understood. My so, father and my can, grandfather uh, among those who served. You can yeah. have opinions, you know, about policing and whatnot, but don't disrespect so the flag. So is it disrespect to, 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 to take a knee and respectfully sit there? I mean, he's not turning his back on the flag. He's not burning it. He's not dragging it through uh, the dirt. What's disrespectful about what he's doing? We stand. He just takes two, it takes two minutes but to pay choose. that respect to our anthem and to our flag so, I mean, and to all the sacrifices. The land on which they formed this union was stolen. The hands with which they built this nation were enslaved. The women who birthed the citizens of the nation are second class. But all of this is our story. Each of us benefits from the residuals of oppression, and each of us is harmed by the realities of inequality. This is the imperfect fabric of our nation. At times we've torn and stained it, and at other moments we mend and repair it. But it's ours, all of it, the imperialism, the genocide, the slavery, also the liberation and the hope and the deeply American belief that our best days still lie. You know, the reality is here that uh, we have a large percentage of the American population. I don't know how big it is, but we have tens of millions of Trump voters who uh, continue to believe that their rights as citizens are under threat by simple virtue of having to share the democracy with others. Um, I think uh, as long as they see Americanness as the same as one with whiteness, this is going to continue. We have to figure out how to get every American a place at the table in this democracy, but how to separate Americanness, America, from whiteness. Until we can confront that and talk about that, this is really going to continue. I was on Long Island this weekend uh, visiting a really dear friend, and I was really disturbed. I saw, you know, dozens and dozens of pickup trucks with, uh, you know, uh, explicatives against Joe Biden uh, on the back of them, yep. uh, Trump yep. flags, and some cases just dozens of American flags, which, you know, uh, is also just disturbing because essentially the message was clear. It was, this is my country. This is not your yep. country. I own this. And so until we're ready to have that conversation, this is going to continue. What really is concerning to me as well is it's, it's not just Democrats in Congress. I think there's a large percentage of Americans, even some of my colleagues uh, in journalism, who are invested in some way in pretending that this isn't the threat that it is. That is the real concern. Because you know the Trump voters who are not going to get on board with democracy, they're a minority. You can marginalize them long term, but if we don't take the threat seriously, then I think we're all in really bad shape. I mean, when you think about it, it's bombs bursting in air, rockets, red glare. It's all kinds of, you know, a lot of national anthems are that way too. All kinds of military jargon, and the land. There's only one phrase: the land of the free, which is kind of nice, and the home of the brave. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get I mean, that part yeah. of it. Are we the only ones who are brave on the planet? I mean, 
all the brave people live here. I mean, it's just stupid, I think. I, I'm embarrassed every time. I'm embarrassed. An Olympian called Gwen Berry caused some controversy at the U.S. Olympic trials when she turned her back while the national anthem was being played. Protest is the very definition of patriotism. It basically is the f basis of the country. They were protesting the, at the Tea Party, and, and in the 60s, the people protested the Vietnam War, which brought it to an end. And, uh, and now uh, uh, African Americans are protesting, you know, the, the fact that people do not want to face the racist past here. She's basically doing her patriotic duty by saying, I am making a, a point here. That's all she's doing. She's right. not hurting anybody. Gwen Berry is representing the country. She's questioning an American anthem that maybe doesn't represent all people in the country. Well, the, one of the days in, in the upcoming days, we'll play you the American anthem and let you see what you think of it, because there's some stuff in there that makes it a It is, I think, very difficult to talk about the war dead and the fallen without invoking valor, without invoking the words heroes. Um, and. I, I, why do I feel so comfortable about the word hero? I feel comfortable, uncomfortable about the word hero because it seems to me that it is so rhetorically proximate to justifications for more war. <laughs> um, and I don't want to obviously desecrate or disrespect the memory of anyone that's, that's fallen. And obviously there are individual circumstances in which there is genuine and tremendous heroism of, you know, hail of gunfire and rescuing fellow soldiers and things like that. But it seems to me that we, we marshal this word in a way that um, is problematic. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, those people. Those people. So we, we need to vote for them because they're great people. Interesting. Chuck Schumer. He literally says this. We're going to get to lighter fare and play Respect to the Fourth, but I, I got to play this dumb fucking shit. If you have ever seen a gunman fire what looks like a machine gun with just one hand, that's what pistol braces allow you to do. I say, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. It's a complete and utter lie. Everybody in the world who fucking ever fired a gun know it's a lie. And they get a, they get away with it. I mean, it's it's clearly somehow this new fucking ability of the left to just fucking lie and lie and lie and nobody calls them. This is another lefty. Why the Titanic submarine incident will be a victory for the working class. Every single billionaire is an enemy of the people whose entire life has been spent exploiting the working class and the masses. Billionaire luxurious and lavish lifestyles are a direct result of the exploitation of the common working class person. Ultimately, hate of bicyclists comes from the same place as racism, sexism, homophobia, and transphobia. A desire to cling to status quo power arrangement that favors some over others, writes Ruth Malone. Same people. And then a thread I came across. You know, I got, I got time today. I'm going to play some of it. This is what's happening to people 
that they are brainwashing with this trans shit. For years, this case was called a medical triumph, but in truth, the case was a failure, devastating the lives of just about everybody involved. This is David, who has remained anonymous until now, uh, only known in the medical journals as John Joan. And this is Janet Reimer, David's mother, who made the agonizing decision to change the sex of her son and to raise him as a girl. And what you all at home didn't see during the taping of that piece, um, we could tell Janet you were, you know, moved and probably disturbed by uh, what you're saying. And David, you, you comfort her. Uh, she's hurting right now. Uh, mothers are all over the world are all alike. There's guilt. Uh, it's darned if you do and darned if you don't. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what things that were done were done out of compassion, out of love for your child. Mm -hmm. and, and how can I hate my mother for that? Mm -hmm. Did you think he would hate you? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. Did you hate yourself? Yes. Mm -hmm. So you talk on the tape about the day you first put the dress on. Did you have agonizing feelings about it even when the doctor or were you of that generation or kind of person when the doctor said this would be best? Did you all believe that it would be best? Yes, I had complete faith in the doctor. Mm -hmm. I believed it would be best. But when he started to rip it off, I started to have doubts. Mm -hmm. And during the whole journey of trying to create a feminine being, there were doubts along the way, but I couldn't afford to contemplate them because I couldn't afford to be wrong. I couldn't have faced the alternative. And the alternative being what? That you'd made this horrible mistake? Yes. Because then what could you do? Right. Since, you, since your earliest memories, you never felt like you were a boy, a girl? I never quite fit in. Uh, uh, well... The girls would do their things with their Barbies and things like that, and that wouldn't interest me. Mm -hmm. And uh, things such as trucks and uh, building forts and, uh, you know, getting to the odd fist fight and mm -hmm. climbing trees, that's the kind of stuff that I like, but it was unacceptable, so I'd never... As a girl? As, as a girl. I had no place to, to fit in. So what would you say to um, David, who was then your daughter, what would you say to him when he would act out his maleness? I would try and convince him that he was doing it because he was a tomboy mm -hmm. and that it was okay to be himself or herself, I would say at the time. It was okay to be herself, but she was very much a tomboy. Mm -hmm. I tried to fit in. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I tried with the, with the makeup and it, it, it Turned out to be a disaster. I mean, you got the, you know, the, the red, the red circles on the cheeks, and uh, look, I, look, I look like a clown, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, but I didn't do it because I liked it. I did it because I wanted so desperately to fit in because I was so lonely. And I let one boy kiss me on my cheek once, and I thought about it. I said, no, I don't like this. Uh, 
know, I can't help that. You know, I am what I am. Did you feel you, you, when you say I am what I am, but you didn't know what that was? I, I wasn't sure. On May the 4th, 2004, 38-year-old David Reimer drove into a supermarket car park. At 10.30 at night, the police came to the door. And I think I was screaming, no, no, no. As he sat in his car, he put a shotgun to his head and pulled the trigger. At the time, plastic surgery was not advanced enough to help Bruce Reimer. Only a few weeks ago, Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore announced that it was opening a gender identity clinic expressly for people who wanted to change their sex. Dr. John Money, a Then several months later, the Reimer family saw something on television that made them feel hopeful for the first time since the accident. Dr. John Money, originally from New Zealand, was a pioneer in the astonishing new field of sex change surgery. Dr. Money, it's still a pretty drastic procedure, isn't it? Well, it's a drastic procedure by, procedure by your standards and mine. Dr. Money was on there and he was very charismatic. He was very, he seemed very highly intelligent and very confident of what he was saying. Have you ever been on Dr. Money had brought a transsexual with him a man who had been changed into a woman. As a matter of fact, uh, you've never been into this. The transsexual yes, certainly made an impact because she was a very feminine-seeming woman. And I thought, here's our answer, here's our salvation, here's our hope. Janet wrote to Dr. Money after the show ended. He replied promptly. When they met, Dr. Money suggested that the Rhymers could turn their baby son into a baby girl. It looked as if Ron and Janet had solved the problem. But it wasn't just that Dr. Money was the answer to the Rhymers' prayers. They were the answer to his. Then something happened that would have a terrible effect on both twins. David discovered that Dr. Money had continued to publicize his case as a success. Proof that you could raise a boy as a girl. I was appalled disgusted and angry when I heard about it because it was nothing further than the truth you're a cute little boy three decades after this misguided experiment oh, began to prevent others being traumatized in the same way David persuaded Brian to go public with him and speak about their ordeal David said we have to do this and stop Dr. Money 
from doing what he's doing. He's ruined our lives. We can't let him ruin any more. So Brian agreed. The experiments that he made us do, uh, going into sexual positions with no clothes on, and taking pictures of us, how degrading for a seven-year-old. But once the documentary was broadcast, Brian's mental health deteriorated. David used to come here quite often, bring him flowers, and I guess I don't know exactly what he talked about, but he came here and he talked to him quite a few times. It must have been at least four or five times a week. I know it's chopped up. It's an entire thread. You can go um, Twitter, champ, Champagne Jossie, and even with glasses, that needs to be blowed the fuck up. Josh Walkos, W-A-L-K-O-S. Whiskey Alpha Lima Kilo Oscar Sierra is the last name. And it goes through just one, David Reimer, and it was psychologist John Money. And Money came up with all this shit. And we've covered this a couple times for that guy's, like Matt. He's like, okay, shut the fuck up. Uh, shut the fuck up, brother. I've heard that way too many fucking times. But this just happened in Michigan that if you misgender, you're done. You're fucking done. And then you find people that are... Here's Riley Gaines. You have been subjected to an unbelievable amount of abuse. You talk about intimidation, threats of violence. You have suffered it. I want to put up here a a picture so everybody can see it. This was the welcome you were treated to at San Francisco State University just a couple of months ago when a, a mob assembled where you were supposed to speak, I believe for over three hours, screamed, threatened you, barricaded you in a room. Do I have that basically correct? Yes. I was held for ransom for three and a half hours um, by hundreds of these protesters, as you see on the board. Um, They demanded that I had to pay them money if I wanted to make it home to see my family safe again. The law enforcement in San Francisco, um, I respect... And I think law enforcement is what's brave, not me. And I respect all law enforcement. But what the law enforcement I was met with in San Francisco, in my opinion, failed miserably in effectively doing their job. Um, they had mentioned that it was not ideal for them to be seen as anything other than an ally to this community. Um, and that was made very obvious in the treatment and effectiveness of, of removing me safely from that situation. Why were you threatened and barricaded into a room and held for ransom for hours on end? I mean, what, what was it you were saying that was so, so terrible? I was invited to speak on my experience of my senior year in competing against a male. Um, nothing opinionated about what I shared. It was surely the exact lived experience of what me and my teammates and fellow competitors dealt with. 
And so I spoke. I, after my speech, there was, of course, a lot of protesters in the room, which I'm totally fine with people protesting. It's their right to protest. But what I'm not fine with is when it does turn violent in the way that it did. Because protesters afterwards, they rushed into the room. They turned off the lights. They rushed to the front. Um, myself and others were assaulted. And that's ultimately when I was held for hostage for three and a half hours. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, thank you for your courage in the midst of that. Let's talk a little bit about the message that you were sharing. And you started to talk about it in your opening statement. Just tell us about your experience. Because nobody can question your experience. I don't think anybody sitting at the, at, at the table, and certainly nobody at this podium, has had uh, the experience that you have had. You were talking about just the incredible surprise, shall I say, to put it gently, of finding a biological man, a six-foot-four biological man in your locker room and having to accept that without being asked about it, without being told about it even. What was that like for you? Tell us about that. I... Again, we only became aware we would be undressing next to a man was when we had to see a man undressing while we were simultaneously undressing. And so I immediately left the locker room, and I went up to one of the officials on the pool deck, and I said, what are the guidelines to allow a man into our locker room? I know the guidelines for the competition, but what are the guidelines for the locker room? And he so nonchalantly said back, oh, we actually got around this by making locker rooms unisex. And so I'm thinking to myself in these brief moments, first and foremost, you just admitted this is a male by acknowledging how you had to change your rules to make the locker rooms unisex. You acknowledge that we do not share the same sex, first and foremost. Secondly, unisex. Any man could have walked into our locker room. Any coach, any official, any man who wanted to would have had full reins to, and bare minimum, we weren't forewarned about it. And that's, that's the traumatizing part. Of course, the experience in and of the locker room itself is traumatizing, but I think for me... It was so easy for them to dismiss our rights to privacy. Um, Senator Durbin, in, in your opening statement, you had mentioned this rhetoric. It's, um, you had mentioned that what message does it send to trans individuals? And my combat to that is what message does this send to women, to young girls who are denied of these opportunities? So easily their rights to privacy and safety thrown out of the window to protect a small population, protect one group as long as they're happy? What about us? That is the overall general consensus of how we all felt in that locker room. Why do you, why do you think it is that the, the NCAA and so many people in power seem intent on just erasing your opinion, your views, the whole category of women? I noticed that recently you just posted this to social media about a message that Harvard was sending around, I think, to its swimmers telling them, don't talk about Leah Thomas, don't share your opinions. If you get contacted by a member of the media, then refer that to the university. Don't say anything, for heaven's sake. Tell us about this. I mean, this has been your experience over and over and over. You're told as a woman, just shut up. Don't say anything. What's that like? That is continually happening. And if we do speak up, you're immediately labeled as some, as some name. They will call you everything under the sun, whether it's transphobic, homophobic, racist, white supremacist, domestic terrorist. They will throw them all at you in hopes to deter you, in hopes to silence you. Um, Leah Thomas's teammates, they were forced every single week to go to mandatory LGBTQ education meetings to learn about how just by being cisgender, they were oppressing Leah Thomas. They were told that they are not allowed to take a stance because their school has already taken their stance for them. They were told that you will never get a job. You will never get into grad school. You will lose your friends. You will lose your scholarship and playing time if you speak out. They told these girls that if you do speak out, and any harm whatsoever comes towards Thomas's way, whether that's through social media, whether that's physical, mental, emotional harm, 
then you are solely responsible and you could be responsible for a potential death. And you don't want that, do you? Of course not. Who would ever want to be responsible in a potential death? But that is the emotional blackmail that is plaguing this country, especially in universities. Last question, and I'll, just, I'll ask this and then give you a chance to respond, and I'm, I'm done with this, Mr. Chairman. Um, let me give you a chance to respond to something that Leah Thomas said recently, publicly. This, um, she said this publicly. They're using, this quote now, they're using the guise of feminism, they meaning you, using the guise of feminism to sort of push transphobic beliefs, meaning you advocating for women, women's rights, is actually just a cover for transphobia. Do you want to respond to that? Feminism is not a fluid term. Um, the original and the meaning of what it means to be a feminist is to uphold, respect, honor, embrace, and celebrate women on our own physical ceilings, our own uniqueness. That term has not changed. Um, and what this really is is a, is a male mansplaining what it is to be a feminist, which I honestly think is pretty ironic, and it's something we've seen before. I've been sitting on a lot of this stuff for a while because, you know, once again, I didn't podcast, which fucks it all up. But that came from the U.S. Army. Living authentically saves ASC, ASC soldiers' life. Living authentically. June 22nd. Zooming up, because even with glasses, fucking fuck. I haven't been on a computer in a while, so that has something to do with it, too. I'm having, like, the glare is fucking with my eyes right now. Um, Coming out as transgender female saved Major Rachel Jones, the U.S. Army Sustainment Command Cyber Division Chief. I'm going to let that sit for a while. Cyber. We just had a normal guy give up shit. The first one was also a tranny that we paid for. And now another tranny in charge of our secrets. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Information management started with depression and suicidal ideation for most of her life. From this forward, I will say him. Look at this. Go back and research. Anybody's new to the show. Research what the fuck I used to look like before I got sick. That's me with a wig. In fact, he didn't even have a wig. He's bald. Look, and if you think about it, it looks a lot like Levine, which is weird. No longer battling depression or suicidal thoughts. Observance of Pride Month celebrated every June was first recognized by the Department of Defense in June 2012 in a time when lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer community came together to celebrate love and authenticity. Many gay people must overcome deep-rooted fear, shame, and adversity in order to live as their most authentic self, though. Where? Where is this happening? What is this fear? They're the bullies. I mean, they're the people that are fucking people up. I don't think Riley Gaines was hit by a bunch of goddamn mega motherfuckers going, let's get them trannies. That's not what I saw. Yeah, why am I drinking a monster? I shouldn't be. 
and doesn't help things. I am dipping a lot less. If you notice, this is like I dip in, took it out. Two hours later, put a dip in. I'm starting to wean down to five dips a day. I suck the shit out of it, though. That sounds really bad. It's supposed to want to talk about tranny shit, but I'm going to quit the dip. It doesn't help. I mean, I'm still getting the same symptoms, but at least I won't get cancer. Woohoo! The road to self-acceptance is not easy for Jones. Before coming out privately to his therapist, Jones lived every day deeply depressed and suicidal. When I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. I don't think many people meant to do that, but it's sometimes I heard as I was growing up repeatedly, so much so that I convinced I was inherently evil for being transgender. The pressure of hiding all the time was so bad, I grew up depressed and suicidal to the point that I always had a plan to end my life. Yeah, yeah, what the fuck out. Uh, once again, Nearly 115K veterans have committed suicide, but Army.mil is coming to this person's defense and ignoring those people, the ones that actually did it. These people threaten all the time. I'm going to kill myself. You don't do what I want. If you don't embrace all 4,000 pronouns... Make your kids watch Drag Story Hour. I'm going to kill myself. Those people are important, but not the people that it actually did. For fuck's sake, I was one of the people that almost fucking did. Nobody gave a fuck about me. and There was no fucking articles in Army.mil. Jones, however, feels lucky to be alive today. Even when deployed, the greatest threat to my own safety was myself. Oh, you're such a drama queen. Literally. The risk of depression, post-traumatic stress, and suicidal ideation is twice as higher for LGBT veterans and soldiers who have concealed their true selves and non-LGBTQ veterans and soldiers, explained Master Resilience Trainer Stephen Allers, who's also fucking gay. So we're going to move on. Since getting into therapy, I was able to detangle my feelings about being transgender and disconnected from being evil and suffocating shame. I started to accept and love myself. He said... Comparing his coming out journey to his military life, he added, I like taking off a very heavy rucksack. While the ruck is on, you can't move like you should. Your body aches and you just don't want to stop. When you take a ruck off, everything feels lighter. By his fucking fat ass, I don't think he's had a ruck on in quite a long time. And if you're on audio, you must tune in to this portion. Uh, What the fuck? Let me do some quick math. Mm, 1 hour and two minutes. You need to come into this to see this fucking... He looks like 108... He looks like 400 pounds of chewed bubble gum. Imagine having to conceal your true self every day for an extended period or maybe even your entire life. How many of us could do that? He asked. Living as our true selves helps mitigate suicide because the opposite denying our true selves is so deeply painful. Most individuals cannot live with the hurt, shame, guilt, and personal betrayal it creates. As is my thing, I'm going to go let in. We can also simply follow the golden rule and treat others as we'd like to be treated ourselves, suggests Allers. Ask, how are you doing? 
Are you okay? Sometimes the people you least expect to be struggling are those struggling the most. Jones' advice to this is avoid making assumptions about whole groups of people. Don't say those fighting depression are weak and pathetic and don't call LGBTQ people anything derogatory. He said this applies even more so when you don't think someone is dealing with either of their issues. Suicide crisis hotline on this article. Not any other ones. Not for vets who are struggling with fucking debilitating injuries and motherfuckers who fucking don't have limbs. Fuck those pieces of shit. Fat boy here wants some attention. And the reality is his bloated, fucked up ass was probably going to get kicked out of the military. Oh, it was a major. What the fuck was his his rank? I guess I didn't even listen to my own fucking article. What rank is this fucking bloated piece of shit? Major. Most likely got passed over for major. And then pulled the I'm trans, get on the motherfucking woke bandwagon and go through equity review boards and I'll get my promotion. And now his fat ass is a major. Violating AR 670-1, not in height and weight category. This piece of fucking bloated whale shit. Private pile from Full Metal Jacket is now a major not attaining to standards because they don't have to maintain those standards and then has the goal to say, you know, don't say bad things towards gay people. You motherfuckers spend your entire life calling cis people, turfs, Christians, gun owners, conservatives, ultra-mega, southerners. That's all you people do. It's like 24 fucking 7, brah. But yeah, don't call us names. We just get to call you names. Because we're fucking special. We're extra special. And our mommy told us we were. Fucking cock sucking. Jesus. It just... There are times, man, that I... And no, I, I know I, I took fucking 12 days off, but I literally was reading some of this shit as I was miserable in a fucking chair or moving or doing something. I did a lot of yard work. I go outside and take walks. Where do they get off saying this shit, man? I mean, seriously. Where do you get off saying this crap? How is it acceptable? Sorry, I burped on the mic. That wasn't cool. I mean, you have zero, precisely zero fucking integrity, honor. You're just a bunch of bullies. You found a way through the internet to bully everybody, treat people like shit. You get to assume that, oh, Christians are pieces of shit. Because when I was a kid, they did force some morals and values in other people. They don't do that shit anymore. But you can call them all garbage humans. You can do all sorts of fucking shit. That's cool. But you can't say shit about us. 
and it's just a cudgel. Do, does anybody really think, looking at the experience of our lives, going back through time, do you think the left gives a half a fuck about transgenders? It's probably not even a sixteenth of a fuck. They don't care. They don't fucking give no shits. It's a cudgel. It's the cause du jour. And if I can fucking shut you up and call you a trans, homophobe, cancel you, well, goddamn, let's do it. So now we're criminalizing it. Five fucking years in jail for mis-fucking-gendering something. I'm going to tell you right now, the dude at my fucking 7-Eleven, I call him dude all the time. And I do it on purpose. I don't give a fuck. He's a dude. And he doesn't get butt hurt. Because he's no longer in the, the wardrobe. He's just a dude walking around with tits. That's exactly what he is. He got implants. But he's a dude. He got fucking big ass fish lips to look like a woman and got titties. But I saw him go in the men's latrine. So he's a dude. I don't care. If somebody asks me, hey, I'm actually a girl. Okay. But I'm not going to spend my whole life walking around fucking worrying about what I call you. You guys don't give a fuck. I, I remember rolling up in a fucking Jeep to Starbucks and getting treated like dog shit because they just assumed I was ultra mega. So, Joe Rogan which most of you probably already saw by now. I think it just happened a couple of days ago, but yeah, I love the way he went off of Mulvaney. So I'm going to play it as a soapbox for today. Time it respects people's opinions is when people boycott shit and it works like this Bud Light thing. Yeah. Then, and now people are like, don't do that again. Yeah. Like be careful. Cause look what yeah. happened to Bud Light. Well, who controls Bud Light? That's the question. Why would they make a dumb decision like that? Are they trying to ruin Bud Light? And why would they want to ruin Bud Light? Are they trying to take down some of our most iconic American brands? And why would that help? I don't think they were trying to. I don't think they had any idea this was going to happen. It's this uh, ESG thing that everybody has to dedicate a certain amount of their time to, you know, woke stuff. Who, who Who mandates that? It's a good question. Where's the ESG money come from? Is that uh, government? Like, where does that come from? And it's they, they have scores, and the, the ESG score of your corporation determines what you get. And the problem is also you get these people that are coming out of college, like this, this lady who made the decision for Bud Light. You know, she's gone through the university system, she's in the corporate system, and she's a woman, and she thinks, you know, we have to be more inclusive, and that's all the language everyone's using today. Yeah. So they don't know any real people. They don't know regular people. They Mm -hmm. have no idea that if you take a brand, Bud Light, which is, like, known for, you know, blue-collar drinking people, that they they like to fucking watch football and drink Bud Light, and then all of a sudden you have this 
mentally ill person who's just an attention whore. And you make a big deal out of putting this person 365 days of womanhood. You put that on a Bud Light can, and they freak the fuck out. Yeah. And then Kid Rock shoots a bunch of them, and then it's on. Once Kid Rock shoots your cans, you got real problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you do. He nails it. As always, he nails it. And it's fucking, you know, that's fucking Ice Cube there. Pretty much says everybody's getting sick of it. So... We missed the fourth, as usual, because I was not podcasting, so we're going to do a couple things here. We're going to play my favorite line from the movie I watched yesterday. I watch it every fourth. I know it has nothing to do with patriotism, but I just fucking love it. The speech from Independence Day, 1996. Some of the Nashville fireworks, which came out really, really good, as usual. And a first flight of the new trainer. Uh, I believe it's the T-7... Uh, yeah, T7A Red Hawk. Um, before we do that, a lot of press going to this now. They're they're removing them. I'm going to replace them somehow with F-16 Fighting Falcons that are not going to replace the sheer fucking scunion that is the A-10. Um which, you know, I've bitched about it every podcast and I'll bitch to it at the end. I think it's the dumbest decision ever. It's, it's like a fucking B-52 bomber. C-130. Why? 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 It's fucking stupid. But anywho, so we'll watch those three videos and close this one out. from here will join others from around the world and you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind mankind that word should have new meaning for all of us today we can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore we will be united in our common interest perhaps fate that today is the 4th of July and you will once again be fighting for our freedom not from tyranny oppression or persecution but from annihilation we're fighting for our right to live to exist and should we win the day the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day.
to show you how fucked up DOD is. That's their video. That, that's the best they could come up with because uh, we're too busy covering fat, obese majors who couldn't get promoted, so they became trans because it's the way they could get promoted, which is fucking horseshit. Our last little thing is about the Ukrainian conflict. We've now had, uh, to my account, seven vets die. A ranger just came back, and he said it's it's just a fucking mess. There, the whole unit's getting wiped the fuck out. There is no medevac. He left. I don't know why he went over, but he did, and he left. He came back. Annihilated in Ukraine war. U.S. makes another attempt to replace his Bradley IFVs could send more to Kiev. Basically, what they did with the Bradleys, like fucking morons, is they used them to clear minefields, which they're not designed to do. And, of course, they hit fucking mines, and everything we gave them got ass-fucked. The Patriots shot down five planes the other day, but all the IFEs, it's an aluminum vehicle with up armor on it. That's all it is. I've seen one burn to the fucking ground. It's literally scary. That thing melted like a fucking beer can. And it was unfucking cool. Um, I. You know, it's not a mega position, it's probably just a vet position. I don't like how. Colin Powell ended up, but he had the right principles when he was sec dev. A clear mission with an out. We do not have a clear mission and an out with Ukraine. We're just throwing fucking money out of fire. And it's just burning up. All of it. Just throw money, burn. Throw money, burn. Throw money, burn. I mean, what the fuck are we doing? We've got SF on the ground calling in airstrikes. We're fighting a proxy war. And because there's a D behind the bumbling moron that is our president now, nobody seems to give a fuck. But they really should. They really, really should. This could get fucking out of control. Because we keep putting more and more weapons in the battlefield. It's not good. And then finally, watched a movie yesterday. Um, I've only watched it once. I'm not a big fan of Oliver Stone. Now, Oliver Stone, Bronze Star with Valor, Two Purple Hearts. He did his time with the 25th. So it's different than most guys. Um, You know, you'd say, well, Tony, you're a hypocrite because of Kerry. Well, Kerry threw his awards away and became a war protester. Oliver Stone has done not... You know, movies that would be considered pro-war or, you know, they're negative war. I mean, he's an anti-war guy, but he didn't throw his shit away and he doesn't claim to be a hero. Um, But born on 4th of July, and I got to admit, I I got to a point in that movie um, now, which is really different. Uh, The first time I saw it, I was like, fuck you. Fuck your whole, you know, army sucks, country sucks, bullshit. But it did hit me from a different angle. And I'll share that and then close the the, the show out. Um, 
it made me think about how the same families, the same lineage of people go fight and die for this country. Always. You know, you talk to any vet, uncles, fathers, somebody fought in in their bloodline. And somehow since World War II, we decided to fight wars without sacrifice, fight wars um, without the country getting involved. I want to say this right so I, 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 I don't fuck it up. Um, what the fuck is this? Let's let's pause the record. Well, of course, I couldn't find the one I was looking for. I found two other, and uh, this kind of war is like I. Uh, 1,200-page Korea masterpiece about that conflict. America in the 1950s rediscovered something that since Hiroshima they had forgotten. You may fly over a land forever. You may bomb it, atomize it, pulverize it, and wipe it clean of life. But if you desire to defend it, protect it, and keep it for civilizations, you must do this on the ground the way the Roman legions did, by putting your young men into the mud. And the second quote, which is very close to what I was looking for, a nation that does not prepare for all the forms of war should then renounce the use of war in its national policy. A people that does not prepare to fight should then be morally prepared to surrender. To fail to prepare soldiers and citizens for limited bloody ground action and then to engage in it is folly verging on criminal. It hit me as it has and festered like a boil since we handed Afghanistan back to the Taliban, the very fucking people we took it away from and lost a lot of lives. Since World War II, this nation's never declared war. We haven't really mobilized war. We haven't sacrificed at the home front. Korea. I can't remember the one in... um, It was after that in the 60s. We went south and did some shit. Panama, Grenada, Gulf One. Kosovo. Afghanistan. Iraq, Ukraine. It's the same people fighting and dying. For me, 9-11 is a seminal moment. It's more than terrorists attacking the nation and 3,000 people dying and the horrors that were entailed in that and the fear that we had and the subsequent terrorist attacks we had on our own soil, San Bernardino, shoe bomber and all that shit under Obama when the push from the left once again wasn't about black folk you know which I once again don't understand why black folk keep voting democrat they don't give two chucks about you they don't give a fuck 
Don't give a fuck about trannies. They'll use anything they can. Just like the right uses veterans as a cudgel to get votes, they will use every demographic on the fucking planet. And at that time, it was Muslims. We had NASA going. The biggest mission of NASA is to push Islam. I guess in space. Now it's trans in space. We're going to push trans. We're going to meet the first Martians and call them fucking cis turfs because they didn't get our pronouns right. I don't know what the fuck we're going there for that, but that's the thing. But to my point, it altered my family forever. Forever. I just gotten back from one year overseas. We're trying to put our family back together. We moved into this very home. And September 11th happened two months later. And then I leave. I lost my daughter forever. She changed into this sickabus, hateful lefty. My son changed forever because he got his ass kicked and didn't have a father for four years. My wife became harder than she'd ever been because she had to survive. We lived apart for four fucking years and it took half a decade to put everything back together between us it fundamentally affected us it was huge but the rest of the country went uh, went to the mall there was no sacrifice because we've gone to a volunteer army great I mean uh, I'm the first to say I'd rather have a volunteer army than a bunch of fucking conscripts Vietnam was a, a conflict of conscripts Nobody wanted to be there, and more people died, and nobody gave a fuck. And half the time, the fucking soldiers run around with fucking peace shit on their fucking helmets. So, I mean, that's not a way to fight a fucking war. But we've never sacrificed as a nation since World War II. We've never done a clarion call for the entire country to mobilize for war. Because our leaders want to go to war. For the defense of the nation, global aims, whatever. We didn't do it. We haven't done it. And the outcome has been a clusterfuck. Iraq's not great. Afghanistan, we handed back. It's a clusterfuck. It's now seeding. Just like it was going to. And the very people that caused it all with their anti-war shit and changing row and taking the eye off fucking target and then going, fuck it, we're going to leave and stopping leaving earlier with the president that would have kept it online with actual ground combat. Oh, we're going to do it on a date because we want to be able to say the war's over by September 11th and people falling off planes, 13 people murdered by a suicide bomber, leaving tens of thousands of people in the country that I get taken out by contractors themselves. It was a clusterfuck. A gigantic clusterfuck. And now we're doing it again. We're fighting in another country. We have people on the ground. They can lie that they're not there. We're nuking people in Syria and Africa and Somalia. We're all over the globe, still killing motherfuckers. There's no war. Guaranteed people are dying. They're not saying they're dying. They're doing the old training exercise bullshit. 
We have veterans dying who were stupid and volunteered to go fight in a fucked up fight that isn't ours. So the movie was completely different for the first time. I looked at it and for 2.3 seconds, I went, holy fuck. Do I agree with war protesting and hating the government? And No, no. I would never be that guy. I would never be a carrier or Kravak or whatever the fuck his name was. But for the first time in my life, I kind of looked at it as what the fuck are we doing? If we're not going to be as a nation committed to the conflict, why are we doing the conflict? If we're just going to go haphazardly and kill soldiers without a direct plan, and that goes back to Bush, Obama, Trump, just not Biden, even though Biden's got 10 years of it because he was with Obama. What are we doing? And why is it the same people doing it? Why are the same families filling plots in Arlington while the people that hate this country and believe it's horrible to deface a gay flag can burn the American flag and wipe their ass on it? Why are we this way? How do we get to this? And why every 4th of July, the very people that are afforded the freedom of speech that you and I don't get because we're constantly silenced for having opposing views on abortion, gun control, religion, transgender issues for our children, schooling for our children, that America isn't racist. We're always silenced. They get to say all sorts of heinous shit like Cory fucking Bush. Why do they shit on the country every goddamn holiday? New York Times, WAPO, America sucks. In the very countries, like the West Bank, are doing the whole conflict against terror, the Muslim-ran countries, they would be arrested and shot for the things they say about their own government. That's just how it rolls. So I sat on the fourth thinking about that. We have a government ran by people that hate the fucking country to its core. A media that says those people are the people we need to vote for because they believe in the Constitution. Even though every time you turn around, they want to get rid of the Electoral College. They don't want red states to have two senators. I mean, there's a fucking billion things they're against. And I ask the question, where are we going? Where is this country going? We're either going to be the global power that does good and keeps evil countries in check as a nation committed to said policy 
or we're going to be like the Rome, Roman legions and eventually just fall apart. And our military is already starting that. We have retention problems. We have enlistment problems because we spend all the time talking about tranny shit and we're not talking about combat shit. And if I can just oppose two concepts... Freudbach, you got to be committed. And that ranger, it's a war. We've never had a real war since World War II or since Korea. There's been a little two-way. But we start scrapping with Russia and China. Them motherfuckers got air, air defense, arty. Got all the shit we got. It's going to fill body bags. It's going to be the real deal. It is the call of duty real shit. I mean, Afghanistan sucked. Didn't like getting RPG'd and mortared and shot at. I didn't have airstrikes and artillery strikes and multiple lock rocket launchers coming at my ass and all the hardware. I had a very small slice of hardware. That sucked. When you open up the arsenal and it's a two-way range, that's a totally different thing. And our focus now isn't on that. Our focus is on America's a racist, homophobic, transphobic piece of shit, and we need to redo all the ideals and have an army made up of a bunch of trannies and wokesters where we spend all day beating up on the white folk that are in uniform and calling them racist, transphobe, homophobes. That's our army and our Navy and our Air Force. That's where we're at right now. But when you say that, you get the SecDef, you get the President of the United States, you get the Army Secretary and all the other, oh, I don't even know what the word woke is. Define woke. I don't have to define woke. You just defined it. Because we featured the week of 4th of July, a fat-ass major who's a dude and still has a penis, couldn't get promoted, so he turned into a tranny to get his major. So Oakleaf, I did look it up. He just recently got promoted. That was your featurette. Everything from Army.mil, the actual U.S. Army's website, was woke. I don't get anything from them about kicking ass taking names. I don't even see it. And that's a problem. It's a big problem. So that wraps up an episode, finally, of Flower Politics Podcast. Share the family and friends. Go to Flower Politics K at SoundCloud, Rumble 482467. Email me at at gmail.com. I promise we'll have a better show than this tomfoolery on the 9th of July, year of our Lord, 2023. It'll be Sunday. Until then, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes. And as always, thanks for listening. I'm sorry it took so long to get back on the mic, but I've negotiated the hurdle. I'll be on Sunday. Take care. Every death is a tragedy, y'all. It's seven lives.